0: This is John 6, 5 through 15. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come to the whole world. Perceiving then that they are about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst.
1: Hmm. God is good. Let's pray together. Lord, we have heard your word this morning, and... Your word is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts down deep into our soul, dividing soul and spirit, marrow and bone. It gets down deep, and Lord, I pray today that you would do that, that you would, like a skilled surgeon, you would, you would, you would cut into our hearts, into our souls, and you would reveal what, what is there that needs to come out, and you would heal what needs to be bound up, the wounds that need to be restored. God, we pray you would do that by your Holy Spirit's work in each life, in each heart, from youngest to oldest. Within the sound of my voice, we we ask you, Lord, to work. Continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's good to see all of you this morning. You know, that scripture sort of put a question in my head. Has God ever asked you to do something that you thought was impossible? Have God, has God ever asked you to do something that you thought was impossible? About a month ago, we were attending Orangeburg Parks and Recreation soccer tryouts for 8-, 9-, and 10-year-olds, and the call of God came upon me in the form of my wife, saying they need more coaches for the youth soccer teams. And my first thought was, that's impossible. There's no way I can fit this into my schedule. There's no way I can do it. And still today, I think it's been pretty much impossible. I, I only played soccer for two years in high school. and I you know, learn about coaching soccer from YouTube. Like this is pretty much how I've been able to coach these eight, nine, and ten year olds. And I thought, you know, if I took the assignment, if I took the assignment that that, that God would would cause it to to go so smoothly and, and so well and, and it has been a great joy, like honestly, it's been a great joy to be with the kids. But y'all, we have we have lost everything every single game that we've played so far. We lost, we lost our scrimmages. We play, How many scrimmages, Bren? Two scrimmages. And then we've had how many games now? Four games. And we've lost every single game. And sometimes God asks you to do impossible things because he knows that you need to learn something from it. And I and I'm, I don't know what I'm supposed to learn from this yet, but I do know this. I know that And one thing God has taught me is that every frustration, everything that's hard in my life is really about worship. Everything that goes wrong, every problem is really a worship problem. Every frustration is really a worship frustration. What do I mean by that? Well, when we lose a soccer game of eight, nine, and ten-year-olds, okay, something that shouldn't mean that much to me, it does. Like, have you guys ever lost a game before? I mean, it hurts, right? And, and, you, and you, you have that feeling, that sinking feeling of, of, of failure and of, of depression, and it hits you, and I'm like trying to be encouraging to the kids, but I feel so bad myself. You know, I'm trying to, hey guys, it's just fun, you know, we're having fun out there, and I'm like, ah, dying inside. Why is that? Why does it mean so much to me to lose? It's because we were created. We were created for something even better. And so whenever we experience that falling short, even in in things as, as mundane as youth soccer, It's meant to redirect our focus so when you get frustrated with your husband, when you get frustrated with your kids, when you get frustrated with your roommate, remember, it's not about them. It's about worship. It's about something that's going on in your heart. You want to worship something, and you're trying to worship something that is not worthy of praise. And I don't just mean you. When we get frustrated with a loss, when we get frustrated with a friend, when we get frustrated with our parents, it's because our worship center is all messed up. We're trying to worship something that is not worthy of praise. So what is worthy of praise? Y'all already know the answer. We've been talking about it through this whole series of whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, and, and last, today, whatever is worthy of praise. Whatever is worthy of praise. And we've, as we've said, all of these virtues are good, right? And we get to experience them and express them in some way in our life, but we all fall short in all of these areas. But there is only one who has already been mentioned today who is truly the fulfillment of all of these things. Especially that last one who is worthy of praise. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the eternal Son of God who has come and manifested in the flesh, who went to that cross, who gave up His life so that we might live, who put death to death, Jesus, He is the one who is pure and true and honorable and lovely and commendable and excellent. And yes, He is the one who is worthy of praise. And so if you're coming here today like me and you're frustrated because of a loss or six losses, I know, right? Let's let's redirect our worship today. Let's ask the question, how, how does Jesus show us that he is worthy of praise? That's what our scripture is about today. How does Jesus show us that he is worthy of praise? This miracle... The feeding of the 5,000 as it's been come to be be known is found in all four of the Gospels. It's the only miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. So it is important. God wants us to pay special attention to this. In fact, in the the movement of the the letter of John, the the Gospel of John, everything's been moving forward to this point in chapter 6. And you're going to see today part of what we didn't read, I'm going to tell you, that things really came to a head With Jesus and his disciples. Spoiler alert, they all leave him, except for a few, at the end of this. 5,000 plus. And at the end of chapter six, they're mostly all gone. Why is Jesus worthy of praise? Number one, Jesus confronts our heads. Jesus confronts our heads. Our minds. Let me read again verses 5 through 7 in chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, follow along. John chapter 6 verses 5 through 7. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 200 days of work. That's what a denarii was. It, was. it was a day of work. It was whatever you're paid for a day of work. 200 days of work. He's thinking of a big number. He's like, 200,000, you know, I don't know how much it is. Two, a lot of money is not enough. To pay for what it would take to feed all of these people. So what's Philip, what's his attitude? He's frustrated. He's confused. He's at a loss. The scripture in verse 10 tells us that there were 5,000 men. Now, in those days, families were counted by the head of household. And so scholars, most biblical scholars think that when it says 5,000 men, it's actually talking about 5,000 households. And so there were probably upwards of twenty to 25,000 people, including women and children, in attendance at this time. That number of people could fill Oliver C. Dawson Stadium over at South Carolina State. So as you're driving by and you see Oliver C. Dawson Stadium, this crowd that Jesus has got coming around him could fill that stadium. In fact, because of COVID, that's how many people fill Williams Bryce Stadium up in Columbia right now. Normally it's 80,000, but right now they're only at a quarter size. As far as I know, they're still doing that. Some of you were there yesterday, I think. And so a lot of people were crowding around. And Philip is confused. He's frustrated. He knows that it is what? Impossible. It is impossible for this to happen. And so here comes Andrew. Look in verse 8. One of his other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? In other words, Andrew, you know, he's a numbers guy. He, he goes and he looks around and he says, okay, well, what do we have? I mean, let's, let's look and let's find out. And he says, there's only this one kid who has five small, bar- now when he says loaves, don't think big loaves. Think little bread bites, okay? Little bread bites, loaves, little small loaves. This was his lunch. Five loaves and... Two fish. This is insufficient. It's impossible. There's not enough money. There's not enough resources. There's not enough time. How can this be? Jesus confronts our heads. He confronts our thinking. He wants you to think it's impossible. He wants you to think, I can't do it. He wants you to think... There's no way that this can be done. He wants you to feel your insufficiency. Do you remember what he said? He said he was saying this to what? To test him. He was saying this to test him. Have you ever heard the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle? Have you ever heard that? A lot of people think that comes from the Bible, it doesn't come from the Bible. God God won't give you more than you can handle is a nice sentiment. It's a nice American phrase, but it's not from the Bible. God never says that he won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, God is always giving us more than we can handle. God is always giving us way more than we can handle, right? And that's what he's doing here with his disciples. He's giving them way more than they can handle. So, when you feel that, when you feel that God has given you more than you can handle, don't throw a fake scripture verse at it. Right? Don't throw a fake scripture verse at it. God wants to confront your head, God wants to confront your thinking. God wants you to get to the point where you realize that your life situation, that your sickness, that your struggle at your work, that your relationship issues, that your doubts, that your insecurities, that your friendships are more than you can handle. Okay? And that's okay. They're more than you can handle. And so the good news is Jesus doesn't leave us there. Right? He doesn't leave us there. That's when he does the miracle. When he confronts our heads, that's when he does the miracle. When we say, what good is this? When we say, why do I keep losing? When we say, I'm done with this marriage. That's when Jesus does the miracle. Look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, the little little tiny loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. All 20,000, 25,000 people. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and he started passing them out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Hey guys, come over here and help me. And his disciples come over and they're passing out the loaves. And and it goes out and it multiplies in this miraculous event. This miraculous event. And it says that the food multiplied and it it filled the entire crowd. 20,000, 25,000 people were able to eat that day. Because Jesus did a miracle. He took the little bit of barley loaves that the little boy had brought and he multiplied it. And he took the little two fish that the little boy had brought and he multiplied it. He multiplied it. Because not only does Jesus confront our minds, but he captures our hearts. He captures our hearts. The people were satisfied and they were blown away. Their hearts were filled with emotion of gratitude and wonder and awe at how could God do this? How could God make something out of nothing? How could this guy, this Jesus, how could he do this? And the crowd got not just excited, they got really excited. Look at verse 14. And when the people saw the sign, when they realized what was happening, what he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet Who has come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see the people got so excited that they wanted to take Jesus and they wanted to they wanted to thrust him into power. They wanted to say this guy can make bread out of nothing. He can reproduce fish out of only two fish and this is the guy we want to be our earthly ruler, right? I mean if this is this is talk about a welfare program that that doesn't depend on taxes or anyone getting angry. It just happens. And so what did they want to do? They wanted to They wanted to commodify Jesus. They wanted to take His miracle and they wanted to to print t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. And they wanted to wear them all over the place and they wanted to thrust Him into power. But what did Jesus do? He withdrew again to the mountain by Himself. Why? Because Jesus wasn't here to do that. He wasn't here to be an earthly king of one nation. He had a much bigger mission. He was here to capture their hearts. Not to fill their bellies, but to capture their hearts. Look at verses 32 and 35. Jesus, I'm skipping some of this passage, which is all good stuff, but just for the sake of time, verse 32 this is the next day. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you... You see, the crowd followed him. He, he went across the sea. He actually... This is where he walks on water. And he joins his disciples in the boat. And he goes over to the other side, back to the city. And the crowd goes from the wilderness over to the city. And they're looking for Jesus. Right? Why? Because they've, they've printed t-shirts. Jesus is king. Jesus said to them, to the same crowd, and the crowd's grown at this point. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, "Sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always." Jesus said to to them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, they were looking for another meal. They were looking for another meal. They were looking for a king on earth. But Jesus said, no, I fed you to show you your need, but not just your physical need, your spiritual need. He said, I am the bread of life. Come to me, eat me, believe in me, and you will have eternal life. Not just temporal life, not just life today, but life forever. Jesus wanted to capture their hearts. He wanted to capture their hearts and show them that He is worthy of praise. Jesus wants to feed your soul too. He wants to meet you in your pain and your disappointment. And He wants to meet you not only with your physical pain, which often leads to emotional and spiritual pain, but He wants to meet you in all of that. And He wants to show you that He has come to give you satisfaction. Did you notice that crowd was satisfied? They were all satisfied. Have you ever sat at the end of a meal and just sat there and thought, man, that was good. And I'm full. Maybe I ate too much. That's what Jesus wants to do for your soul. Jesus wants to fill you up. He wants to fill you up on, in your spirit so that you're no longer running to the, other, to the other sources of fulfillment. You no longer feel like you have to run to food and drink and drugs and sex and entertainment and Meditation and reading and even religion. But you can run to Him. The true bread of heaven. You can go directly to the source. As Wendy said in her prayer earlier, the veil has been torn in two. There's no mediator between God and man except the Lord Jesus. No go between. You can go straight to Him. You don't have to come through me. You don't have to come through some special prayer. You can go straight to Jesus. Straight to the Father. Because the Spirit of God, for those who believe, is in you, dwells in you, gives you access to Him, gives you the ability to be filled. Look, none of those other things fill you. Coaching soccer doesn't fulfill you. Even if I won every game, right? Oh, man, that would be awesome. (laughs) My, My daughter's over here nodding her head. Yes, it would be awesome. But even that wouldn't really fill my soul. Even winning every game would not fill my soul. Only one is worthy of praise. And there's a reason why he uses this image of the bread. Because the bread has to be broken. And in order for Jesus to be our Savior, the bread had to be broken. In order to pass it out into the crowd, the bread had to be distributed. And you see, Jesus had to be distributed. He had to be broken. He had to be put on a cross and he had to be put to death. He had to bleed and he had to die. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? Because that's what our sins deserve. That's what our sins deserve. Our rebellion deserves that. But he took it for us. He took it for us willingly on the cross so that now there's nothing in our way. By faith in Jesus, there is nothing in our way. All of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your mistakes is washed away by the blood of Jesus on that cross. And so you can come directly to God now by faith. You don't have to go to some mediator. You can go straight to the Lord, the Creator, the Giver of life. Because Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus confronts our heads. He wakes us up to our need. He captures our hearts. He shows us what He's done. He shows us what He can do. He shows us that He's powerful, that He's worthy. And then, He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us just looking to the cross. But He gives us a cross also. You see, finally, Jesus cultivates Our hands. He cultivates our hands. And look, that is a big part of the story. Jesus doesn't just come to the multitude and start doing stuff. No. He uses people. He uses His disciples. He uses the gift that the boy brings to Him. In verse 9, the Scripture says, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Jesus takes... The barley loaves and the fish. And the barley loaves tells us something about this little boy. It tells us that he was not from a privileged background. It tells us that he's from a poor family. Because barley was a poor man's bread in those days. Barley loaves. Fish. He had gotten his meal from the 7-Eleven. And he brought it with him. Some crackers and some sardines. And notice that that Jesus doesn't take his gift and transform it into something better. He doesn't take the boy's get the boy's lunch and turn it into steak and potatoes. He takes what he brought and he multiplies it. See God t- will take what you bring and he will multiply it. Does that mean he's going to make it into something more incredible and you know something s- just bl- mind-blowing? No, at the end of the day, they, they ate barley loaves and fish. At the end of the day, they ate uh, saltine crackers and, 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 and sardines. And that's important because it means that your gift matters. It's important because it means that whatever you bring to Jesus, if you drew Jesus a picture and you think, this, this is what I've got. And, and, and an art critic looks at it and says, it's terrible. God doesn't say it's terrible. God receives it, he accepts it, and he multiplies it, and he, makes, and he takes it and he turns it into something beautiful. And he uses it to do a miracle in someone else's life. And God might use your gift, your talent, your ineptitude at coaching soccer, and he might use it in someone's life. He might actually use a losing record to bring about some good. That I never know about. And my wife told me that the other day, and I didn't even, listen, I didn't even hear what she was saying. <laughs> it's like, no, you're wrong. What gift do you have to bring? Look, it doesn't have to be much, it can be saltines and sardines. But you bring it to him, and Jesus, the miracle is that Jesus will take what you bring and he'll multiply it. Do you have a gift? Do you have a talent? Do you have a little money? Bring it to Jesus and he'll multiply it. He'll use it. He'll use it to bless this world that is broken and hurting. And I I know I said earlier, we skipped to the point where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. But there's there's something practical here too, right? The the crowd was hungry. And Jesus met a, a physical need. This wasn't just an illustration. This was a picture of the kingdom of God coming on earth. You know, we look at the miracles and sometimes we think, ah, a miracle could never happen. This is just a fairy tale. Do you think that maybe sometimes? You know, like bread multiplying, really? You really believe that? Sometimes we get miracles wrong. We think a miracle is a suspension of the laws of nature. We think of, our, our, we think of a miracle like the bread multiplying and the fish multiplying. We think of that as a suspension of the laws of nature. This is not how it normally works, right? But let me tell you something. Miracles in the Bible, especially the miracles of Jesus, are not a suspension of the laws of nature. In fact, they are a revelation of the true law of nature. Because, y'all, we live in a world that is shattered and broken. We live in a world that is cursed, actually. This world is not the way that it was created to be. There's something called entropy that that guides the the crumbling and the falling apart of the world. If you leave something alone, it's going to get worse. right? If you don't take care of your body and exercise, it's going to get worse. If if you leave a, a metal tool outside, it's going to rust and eventually fall apart. But that's not the way the world was made. The world wasn't made with things falling apart. That's a result of the curse. And so, what a miracle actually was is the reality of what nature really is coming into the present. It was a glimpse of what God made and of what God is restoring. Let me tell you what is unnatural 25,000 people who are hungry that is unnatural and what the miracle does is the miracle brings true nature to bear on the current situation and yes it's a miracle yes Jesus does it but you know what he calls us to do he calls us to take our saltine crackers and our little fish and to to bring them to the world to bring in the, way, in the ways that we can to bring things back to the way they should be. To bring things back to the way they should be because hunger is unnatural. Sickness is unnatural. People being outcast and, and left alone and, and bullied is unnatural. Death is unnatural. Unnatural. And and it's crazy when scientists look at the world, all they see is death. And you know what the Bible tells us from almost the very beginning? Duh. (laughs) That's the world we live in. It's full of death. The whole basic principle of biology is based on death. But this world is not the world that was created, this world is fallen, this world is cursed. And so the miracles bring a little glimpse of true biology into the present. A little taste of future earth into the present. The dead come to life. The bread is multiplied. The crowd is not hungry. The crowd is satisfied. This is what God made us for. This is what God made us for. And this is why Jesus is worthy of praise. Because he's bringing those realities into the present. He's bringing those those past realities of creation and those future realities of glory into the present, y'all. And we get to be part of it as we bring our gifts, as Jesus cultivates what's in our hands. The little things that are in our hands, the little moments of parenting. Right, moms, dads? The little moments of parenting that are frustrating, God is cultivating what's in your hands. Kids, when you're doing those. Those, your schoolwork, and you're filling out those math problems, Jesus is cultivating what's in your hands, that math problem, and he's going to use that for good in this world. He's going to use your math problems for good in this world. That may be hard to believe, but just trust the preacher up here, okay? Trust Jesus, what he says. He's cultivating our hands for good, He confronts our minds. You're insufficient. He captures our hearts. He says, I am sufficient. I am the bread of life. And then he cultivates our hands. He turns us out toward undoing what is broken in this world. By his power and by his grace. Did you notice that? The disciples are the ones passing out the bread, but it's all Jesus' power. And so if you ever feel powerless, it's okay. It's not about you anyway. It's about what God is doing in you and through you. So come to Him in faith. Turn your life over to Jesus. Believe what He did for you on the cross. And then get ready for what He's going to do in your life. And yes, it will be frustrating. But in those moments of frustration, remember, it's a worship problem. Turn your heart back to Jesus. That's why we worship every Sunday together. Gary said it. We, worship all, we should worship all through the week, but if we're honest, we forget. Right? And so we come back together so we're reminded that we have a greater purpose. We have a greater person who is worthy of praise. Jesus will take your can't and he will transform it into a can. Jesus will take your lack and he will transform it into fullness. Jesus will take your weak effort and he will transform it into a powerful work of God. He is true. He is honorable. He is just. He is pure. He is lovely. He is commendable. He is excellent. He is worthy of praise. Jesus is worthy of praise. Let's worship him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to come from heaven, to be the bread of heaven to come and to truly satisfy our hearts, but not to just satisfy our hearts, but to, to, to take us and to, to set us loose in this world, to coach soccer, and to, to love our friends who are having a hard day, to bring life to places of death, to bring hope to places of darkness, to bring fruitfulness to places of depression and years and years of lack like like this place. Lord, I thank you that you have sent us into the wilderness of Orangeburg to bring you and your message and your hope and your life to this community. And Lord, we pray it would grow. We pray that your name would be exalted in our community. Lord, we love you. We need your strength. Redirect our hearts to you, even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our musicians are going to come up now and lead us in singing. Let's stand together and give praise to the one who is worthy of all praise.